got a real good feeling. You're listening to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast with Crypto Jeb, bringing you the best and most updated news about cryptocurrency. Tune in every morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch this podcast live on our YouTube channel. Hey guys, what's going on? Jeb here, and in today's video, we are going to be talking about the Federal Open Market Committee, also known as the FOMC, because they are meeting today to discuss the raising of interest rates. As you know, during the beginning of the pandemic, interest rates were slammed to the floor to near zero, and what that did is it, in Keynesian economics anyway, stimulated the economy, allowing people to go out and take very low interest loans so that they could get liquidity from the banks and from different lenders so that they could then go out, spend the money, and revitalize and rejuvenate the economy. That's at least the way that theory goes. When the interest rates are that low, however, oftentimes it can help spur on inflation. What we've also seen out of the Federal Reserve is quite a bit of something called quantitative easing in the form of bond buying. About $120 billion a month was going on for quite some time. That is, of course, one way that the Federal Reserve can put liquidity into the economy, causing inflation to go up. That's where you hear these numbers of 40% of all U.S. dollars in existence have been printed in the last 18 months. It's actually higher than that, leading to inflation. Rising interest rates would actually be very good because it would help to stabilize the economy and raised and raised interest rates give the Federal Reserve another weapon in their arsenal to fight different economic forces having to do with the strength of the U.S. dollar. Having the interest rates this low is definitely not very healthy for the economy, so they need to go up. But the problem is when you raise interest rates, oftentimes it causes a short-term correction in the stock market as well as the rest of the economy as it shocks the market and the lending space. However, if you leave them very low for a long time, it can lead to high inflation. It can lead to a much. Uh, it can lead to the economy moving much faster than it needs to, and that can lead to economic turmoil as well. So the FOMC is meeting today and yesterday to discuss what they're going to do, and we're going to be updating you guys on what's going on there, the implications that it will have on the Bitcoin price and the cryptocurrency markets, and of course, we're also going to talk about Bitcoin and some of its fundamentals on-chain and technical analysis in this episode of Coffee and Crypto. We go live 9.30 Eastern every single weekday, so make sure you subscribe if you're new around here. Smash that like button. We just started. We've already got 100 likes. Thank you so very much to all of our faithful that tune in every single day. Hit that like button if you haven't already. We've got a great show lined up for you. We'll be going for the next hour. But before we get started, I am joined, as always, by T.A. Tim. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, uh, despite the fact that uh, there's a lot of wrong people. There's a lot of wrong people in this world. I'll put a poll on Twitter yesterday about the pronunciation of Jif. It you is know? not Jif. It's Jif. It's not peanut butter. It's Jif. The no, founder it's not. said... Uh, I don't care what the founder listen, said. The creator of something should have massive say in what the actual Yes, and is. the billion people that use it also have a massive say, and they all say it's GIF. Okay, we're not going here. Again, the majority at one point in the world also thought the world was flat. That's and actually that the factually sun revolved not true. around the planet. Okay, that's true. So majority votes don't always mean it's true. So. Yes, but we're not talking about scientific facts. We're talking anyway, about Anyway, I'm 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 good this morning. I uh <laughs> having very a, argumentative a today, huh, Tim? I, 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 you're just wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. You're wrong. Also, shout out, uh, uh, Charles, Charles Hoskinson, Hoskinson weighed in on the pizza pineapple debate. Uh, I can't agree more. If you guys wonder what I'm talking about, go to I'm Twitter. I'm going to pull it up right now. Look at his I'm pulling Twitter. it up. I got it up right here. Uh, he just became even more of my best friend. Yes. Small, do you guys know that he used to live in Blacksburg? Go Hokies. Yes. Right here, as you can see, just to be clear, pineapple on pizza is the root of all evil, it's, says Charles Hoskinson. Absolutely true. The man himself has spoken. Wendy said it, Wendy said she challenges him to a duel, actually. Pineapple is the best pizza topping and will bring peace to the world. Wendy, I'm not sure if I can come on your channel anymore. I'm sorry. I'm joking, of course. I'd love to go on Wendy's show again. Anyway, we're also joined, as always, by Smay. How you doing, Smay? 
Pretty cool today. Ma- Smay, what is the what is the pian- the piano player's name that was blind? Ray Charles. Ray Ch- no. Well, not there's Ray Charles. multiple. Oh, uh, you're talking about yeah. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. You look like Stevie Wonder right, right. now. <laughs> Back to my intro. Um, I'm feeling pretty cool today. And you know what I like to do when I'm feeling cool? Keep it going, yeah. I need that background music. Down, that, that down, light down, jazz. Down, down, I like to uh, I like to say some of these green names when I'm feeling cool. And some of my particularly favorite uh, names we got Why You Loud, the Bitcoinologist. What a groovy dude. We got Agent Gold. We got Siobhan Golay. We got SMC. We got Christopher. We got Chris Siobhan Golay again. We got Edward Hess. Where's my background music? Keep it going. Uh, we got we got uh, Grand Roofing Incorporated. We got Eye of the Beholder. We got Crypto Couple. We got Thomas Post. We got Matt C. We got Christopher Malvo. Uh, and there's a bunch more. I love you guys all. Uh, keep it groovy, lads. Dudes, keep it groovy. You need a piano in front of you with those glasses, dude. Yeah. You really do. I mean, it's, it's, it's looking pretty groovy. Well, guys, I really like the glasses, actually. I think they look pretty solid. I got a pair of, if you got, about eight months ago, I did a video on the, I did like three streams where I was wearing my sunglasses because they're prescription and my glasses were broken. If you go back on the channel and dig, you might be able to find those. But we're going to go ahead and move on here straight into our market pulse. Give me one second to go ahead and bring up coin market cap here. We're going to take a quick look at <clears throat> what's going on over on coin market cap then we're going to quickly run through a couple of different articles just a couple of headlines we're going to come back to them and discuss them a little bit more detailed later but right now we can see that bitcoin is up four percent over the last 24 hours ethereum up five percent so we've had a pretty decent recovery in the cryptocurrency markets but it is far too early to put any stock in this we actually talked about the potential for this rally a few days ago on monday when we said that bitcoin was in an inverse head and shoulders pattern here we talked about a price target at forty thousand eight hundred dollars guess where we went to forty thousand eight hundred dollars now in that video i did say that it was more likely that Bitcoin is going to trade sideways. It actually did trade sideways for a period of two days. And then it did eventually go and move to the upside. So it looks like both the sideways action and the upwards action that were two options both played out on this inverse head and shoulders pattern. But to be honest with you guys, I think a lot of this just has to do with people are getting bored of all of the FUD. A lot of the FUD that's been coming into the cryptocurrency space, quite frankly, is the exact same narrative that we've been hearing for the last three months. I think a lot of people are tired of it. I think a lot of people are realizing that the underlying use case of Bitcoin is stronger now than it ever has been. And especially with the conflict going on in Europe, especially what's going on with the inflation, I would say the hyperinflation of the U.S. dollar and most other, in fact, all other world currencies, I think more and more people around the world at a rate of hundreds of thousands a week, if not millions a week, are starting to realize the purpose behind why Bitcoin was created in the first place, which was to be inflation hardening and to give financial sovereignty to anyone who should choose to embark in this cryptocurrency journey by using Bitcoin, the first indestructible network in the history of mankind that is completely and totally incorruptible and completely and totally immutable. I think a lot of people are starting to realize the reason why Bitcoin was created, and they're starting to forget about some of the FUD that really shouldn't be having an impact on the price at all. Nevertheless, if we continue to look at coin market cap here, we can see the altcoins doing somewhat well. Ethereum's doing very well. We see that Binance Coin's up 3%, XRP up 1%, Cardano is up 2.55%, but in general, the market's basically trading sideways. I'm really not interested in a 3% movement on Bitcoin right now when we've been trading sideways for three months. I want to see Bitcoin rally 30%, not 3%. I really want to see Bitcoin break up here above this level 
getting on into the territory of forty-five dollars to $46,000. Now, what we're going to do, I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of headlines here, and then we're going to move into our Bitcoin technical analysis. We're going to come back to these in a little bit. Bitcoin volatility, how the Fed's decision will impact prices. We're going to be reading from Michael Novgratz, the, C- the billionaire investor and CEO of uh, Galaxy Digital. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. We're also going to be talking about a major liquidation event that we're going to be looking at over here, over on Coinglass.com. We saw a pretty major short squeeze a little while ago. That led to part of this rally. We're going to look at that in our technical analysis segment. And an Ethereum 2.0 proof-of-stake testnet blockchain is now live. This is a pretty big deal. ETH 2.0 has been in the works for years, and this is another step in the right direction, which will definitely help it to be a much, a much faster network that's able to actually handle everything that it was set out to do. And then we're also going to talk about a major $30 billion inflows into market capitalization over the last 24 hours. A lot of on-chain metrics, a lot of fundamentals that we need to cover, but we're going to kick it off with some technical analysis. Tim, can you actually get us started on the technical landscape? What is the look, what is the view of the market right now? What is Bitcoin doing with this small recovery? Is this the beginning of something bigger or is this just volatility that we can ignore? Well, we talked about it a little bit yesterday and I'm going to go down to my 4 chart. I don't know if you're on my screen yet, Smay, or not, but I actually discussed one of the reasons why my price prediction is up in closer to 42,000 was because we've been riding this ascending level of support now for a while. Now, semi, we're, we're moving sideways, but sideways and to the upside because the lows kept getting higher and higher and higher. And it was about time the bulls took charge. Now, whether this is anticipation of a Fed announcement, whether it's something else, we need to discuss that and more. But I did make a statement here last week that I think is very, very important. Those of you who were watching last week, you remember when I drew this yellow line and this red line, two new levels of descending resistance that are important. And if you remember, what I said was watch us most likely break through them, but hesitate with them for a second. And look what happened last night on the four hourly chart. We rallied up to that yellow line We came back down, rejected. Some people thought the rally was over. Now, this morning, we've continued to rally, but look at where we're hesitating right now. Not only at the top of this zone drawn many weeks ago, but also right there at that new level of of resistance. I'm not saying that we won't break through it. I actually expect, when we're talking about this later in the show, I do expect the announcement from the Fed to come out semi-bullish, and I do think we're going to start rallying back up towards that 44,000, but look at how we're hesitating at those two key levels. That's something we definitely want to keep our eye on when we're looking at the grander scheme of things like this ascending triangle on bigger time frames. The shorter time frames are showing us a lot of details about the psychology of the investor, the trader, and what key price points are if you are a trader and wanting to make some money during the next couple of days of probably a good amount of volatility. Yeah, and I think it's also important that we notice the other things that are impacting the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market. So for example, I'm going to jump over here to the article that I mentioned just a second ago. We saw that there were $200 million in liquidations. A lot of that took place over the last 24 hours or so. I'm going to read very briefly from CryptoPotato.com here. A few hours ago, the price spiked to $41,700, charting a 5.6% increase in less than an hour. Unfortunately, the cryptocurrency retraced just as quickly and left over $200 million in liquidations within the day. The market moved around a 7% increase, but it was short-lived. You can see right here that we ended up having a relatively large spike and then a relatively large drop. You can actually see that they're pulling data from the from the uh, the uh, site that I pull all of my liquidation data from, Coin coinglass.com forward slash liquidation data. We have no sponsorship with coinglass.com, just like the spo- uh, just like the website. If they're watching, we'd love to do business with you because you have a great platform. Yeah. But as you can see right here, 
I'm going to go down to the 30-minute chart. You can see most of these liquidations happened right over here at around 2,200 hours Eastern yesterday. So that was around 10 p.m. last night. We saw $60 million in shorts getting liquidated along with $4 million in longs. And from there, we saw a major spike in price action from $39.5 all the way up to $41,000. And it actually went even higher than that on a candle wick. If we come down here to 30-minute chart, you can see we rallied all the way up to $41,700 in just the span of about 30 to 45 minutes. So, Tim, we're going to talk a little bit about what liquidations are, how they actually occur, talk about those shorts. But why do you think this occurred? Does this this kind of smells like manipulation to me a little bit? Is this a manipulation event, or were the order books just so thin that it was very easy to cause a liquidation event like this? I do think that short little spike was most likely a fake out. I do think that that was potentially a, a combination of uh, anticipation and then saying, "Hey, nothing's really happened." As that article even talks about those that two hundred million dollars of liquidation was not just bears being liquidated from their shorts. It was also bulls then getting liquidated back from their longs. But watch how we've recovered. It, it, it's almost like maybe you, you've heard that saying before where the uh, where the candle wicks, the candle sticks. Yeah. Uh, could that potentially be key as we watch the rest of this day? While I do think we're going to head back up towards that 44,000 because I do believe the bear, the Fed news will be bullish, could that be a key level, that 41.7? Could we get stuck there again in that area because of that wick? Was that an anticipation price that you know then bears took advantage of they they uh shorted that one ended up making some money there um, but as you can see right now our price is heading back up towards that level this is something to keep an eye on i do think i put it on twitter this morning is this is this an anticipation rally is this a fake out or is this completely unrelated i do think that it, it it's not a coincidence i do believe that that was a, a, a very quick rally due to the fed news um and i think that i just would not be surprised just wait and watch our price go back up to that level and struggle maybe there for a little second before rallying back up towards 44. I think what you're also seeing is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market. And because of that, the older books have become very thin. If you just look at the way Bitcoin is moving, you see a lot of very spiky, very quick and short-lived movements. You can see several of them right here. This is reminiscent to me of 2018 when I was in the cryptocurrency space. I was just getting started back here in the bear market ever since Bitcoin hit $20,000 and pulled back down to $30,000. Excuse me, I'm sorry, down to $3,000. I wish it was at $30,000 back then. I would have been a very happy camper. But if you look at the time period back here, there's two major things that show up in the market. You see a lot of sideways action and you see a lot of big spikes. Now, back in the day, people coined the term a Bart Simpson pattern. And basically that what that looks like is if you pull up a picture of Bart Simpson, then what does he look like? He's got this kind of he's got this kind of mohawk cut or whatever and he looks like he has this very vertical head and then he kind of goes sideways and everything. Well, what you're seeing on the chart oftentimes is you see a chart that kind of looks like that. It just a quick dump, quick rally, and then there's some sideways action in between. Oftentimes what that means is that the dam that was holding back the longs or the shorts was very weak. And whenever you saw somebody short the market, as you could see right here, or long the market, as you can see right here, you were able to move the market thousands of dollars in the spam of just a few hours. And that's what happened here, for example, on October 10th, 2018. We saw this drop, traded sideways because there was no volatility. And then we had a massive rally because somebody decided, oh, I'll come on and buy a quarter million dollars on Binance or whatever they did. And you end up seeing a lot of sideways action because there's no volatility, very low liquidity. And then you also see that whenever there is liquidity dumped on the market because the order books are so thin, you blast straight through them and then you can move the market very far. That's why you see these massive major movements back here in the 2016-17 bull market, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, back during the 20. 
2018 bear market. But if you look during the 2016-17 bull market, you don't see as many of those rapid movements. You see a lot more smooth movements. The market literally looks smoother back here because other than a few instances where we saw major news come in, for example, right here was when China banned Bitcoin for like the 17 millionth time in September of 2017. I remember that. I was out of power at the time because Hurricane Irma had come through. I remember this vividly. I'd been in the crypto space for two months. Back during the bull market, very, very uh, consistent movement. We even saw that in the beginning of the bear market going up to about right here when there was a lot of liquidity. But then you move forward in the bear market and then you start seeing a lot of this jagged price action with major drops, major rallies like it's nothing. That is a result of low volatility and low liquidity. Oftentimes that happens in the second part of a major downtrend. Well, what are we seeing right now? What we're seeing right now is that in the beginning of this major downtrend, we did have some pretty big movements here. But in general, most of these big spike movements going up or down immediately are happening in the last two or three months. That signifies to me that the order books are very thin and we're getting closer to the end of the correction that we're in. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's going to happen next week. I'm not even going to say that the bottom is in next month. But what I am saying is I think the majority of the price movement as far as the dollar change is behind us. I think that if we are going to have a bottoming, then it's probably going to be down somewhere around 33,000, maybe 30,000, maybe down in the high 20s, as we saw happen back in June and July. But I think time-wise, we're probably over halfway through the correction from all-time high here. And price-wise, we're probably 60 to 70% of the way through as well, based on how low the liquidity is and based on how low the volume is. But here's the deal, and here's why this is actually a good thing. Number one, when the prices are spiking like this, it gives you pause because you don't want to get into a bunch of trades because the market's trading sideways. You don't really make much money in a sideways market. That's why all the traders leave when the market's sideways. Two, you want to be careful about getting into a trade because the market can jump $1,000 like nothing and liquidate you or stop you out without you even trying. So it's very difficult to trade. And what that does is it causes you to pull back, start acting like an investor, paying close attention to the markets every single day. Because if you own Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, you need to be informed. It's not a want, it's a necessary. You absolutely must know what's going on with your investments. Whenever you're not really able to make good trades in a market like this, that's a little bit tumultuous, a little bit turbulent, a little hard to predict right now. That forces you to pull back and do two things. Number one, as I said, it makes you more of an investor. Number two, it also forces you to pull back and learn. And if you Watch the video I made yesterday titled, uh, watch this video before you leave Bitcoin or something to that effect. If you go back and watch that video, the whole point of that video was that while Bitcoin is trading sideways like this, and while it's getting towards the end of this correction, number one, look for buying opportunities, because I think the majority of the correction is over. But number two, also remember to invest in your education. That's why we come on this channel every single day with kind of the mission of this show being to give people the informational and educational content that they want and need. Well, that's what we want to do. We want to give you informational and educational content that you want and need so that you can go and be successful in cryptocurrencies. Right now, frankly, there's not a ton of information we need to share with you. So we're leaning a little bit more on that educative on the on that educative piece. Believe it or not, that is actually a word. So those are just some of the things that I've witnessed in these sideways markets like this, going back into the history of my career here in cryptocurrency. But Tim, I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some of the other pieces of market structure that you're seeing in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right now? And what are they telling you about the phase that we're in of this correction from all time high? I'm trying to, I'm processing the question you're even asking me there. Can, I, can you rephrase it in a sure. way? Sure. So, that, yeah. what are some of the, th what technical factors and chart yeah. formations yeah. are giving you information about where we are in the correction from all time high? So, how far yeah. along do you okay, think we are in the correction from all time high? How close are we to the bottom time wise? Not necessarily price wise, but you can answer it that way too. Yeah. And what are some of the chart formations and indicators that are telling you that? Well, the first thing that we need we'll to realize is. 
let's just start with the ascending triangle we're currently in, okay? I, I don't think we're gonna make it all the way to the tip. And let me actually go out on a bigger chart so I can show you this better. I don't think we're gonna make it all the way to the tip right here, that uh, that it could happen. It, it could, it, I just don't think that's how it happens. Usually these formations end up breaking somewhere in this region. If it were to break in this region, we're looking at about April before the price goes up. I'm not convinced yet necessarily though that this ascending triangle is going to be bullish. The reason it will be bullish is if I see a break above 46,000, but until then, as you guys have known watching the show, I'm still waiting for, as Jeb just talked about a little bit ago, more than likely a price around 33K, uh, at least 34 and a, clo a daily close below 35. Again, I've talked about that several times. But another thing that we talked about on the show the other day was looking at the Google trends of crypto, we are seeing those go down, right? We see the average retail investor continue to go down. And this is something we're gonna talk about a little bit more in our discussion. So I wanna save some of my opinions for that piece, but there's actually a very real possibility a very real possibility with what we have coming out of the Fed. And remember, today's Fed decision, they're not just telling us what they're gonna be doing this month with the interest rate. More than likely, you probably could bet money on the number's gonna be 0.25. That's not what the question really is. The real question is, what are the statements they're gonna make about their future plans and how aggressive they will be? Because if they let us know, or at least lean towards the possibility of being aggressive the rest of this year, the stability of the market is going to become extremely hard to read for not only retail investors, which will further FUD them out, but even institutional investors, it could make them pause. Maybe not sell, but pause on their future investments. So. Going back to what I was saying, because I know that I kind of got a little bit tangent there. If we were to write out this triangle, I think we're looking at potentially before a good break, April to maybe even as far into May or June. But if we do not get good information, if we cannot get a handle on what's happening with inflation, and if Ukraine and Russia doesn't seem to be coming to a tipping point to end that, we could we could actually see the rest of this year be a more sideways movement. I do believe barring some new piece of information coming out, mean, making us go down to the 20s, I don't think we're gonna go down to the 20s at least for a significant amount of times, but there is a potential possibility that the rest of this year we are gonna be moving between 30 to $50,000. And and I'm, I'm right now digging very deep into all of the different circumstances that play into that. Again, we'll talk about it in discussion. There's a lot of variables that go into the opinion of how long it'll be before we actually have a breakout but just so you guys know at this point if you're not exploring the possibility of a sideways 2022 then you might need to be digging a little bit further and i think that's very important to realize is that bitcoin could trade sideways for another six months now as a youtuber someone who wants you to stay interested in the content so that you watch the content so that we can continue to minister to you and continue to teach you and help you grow that's kind of a scary thing to admit but it's very important that we maintain one of our core values which is integrity we have many core values here at the company there's six of them but two of the most important for you guys our integrity and humility. We strive every single day to admit when we're wrong. We strive every single day to put you ahead of ourselves. Those are the kind of things that make up humility. And I fail at that every single day. But the point of a core value is not to be perfect. The point of a core value is to know what to strive for. We're striving to be humble and we're striving to have integrity. Integrity, living out that core value, me doing that is showing you and telling you, hey, look, Bitcoin's very boring right now. And sometimes when it freezes, it takes a little while for it to thaw and start getting energetic again. A polar bear doesn't go from being, well, not a polar bear, I'm sorry, but a normal, like a black bear doesn't go from hibernating to boom, tons of energy running around all over the place. That's not what happens. It takes 
time for the bear to wake up from its hibernation, right? Well, that's the kind of the same thing in cryptocurrency. It may take months for Bitcoin to start having a lot of volatility. It's just true. But here's the thing, and I will harp on this and preach this every single day until the cows come home because I've done it every time that Bitcoin has ever been stagnant and everyone who has listened to me, not everybody, but many of the people who have listened to me and followed what I'm about to say are glad that they did. Whenever Bitcoin is sideways, that is exactly the wrong time for you to leave crypto. Frankly, I would rather, if you're going to take a break from crypto, I would rather you take a break from crypto after you take your profits at the top at the beginning of a correction, not at the end of the correction. If you were going to take a break from crypto, you should have done it four months ago when November 10th happened and we hit the all-time high at $69,000. Should have taken your profits right there so that you were you had, uh, you know, you, you were able to leave your account for three months, take in your three-month vacation, and then come back right now. Now is one of the most important times to be in cryptocurrency, even though it's one of the least interesting. And I'll tell you why. Where do you sell? at the top. Well, if you're trying to sell at the top, then where do you buy? You buy it at the bottom. Where's the bottom? Normally at the end of the correction. So if you're looking to get rich in cryptocurrency, if you're looking to make money in cryptocurrency, most importantly, if you're looking to achieve financial sovereignty in cryptocurrency, FinSolve is not just having a large account, but that is part of it. If you're looking to do that, number one, you have to invest in yourself by using these boring periods to learn how to make money during these boring periods and take advantage of this because when the market's popping off and there's a hundred different really interesting news stories every single day, there's so much opportunity, you're going to have less time to learn. It's just that simple. But when things are relatively boring like this, you've got all day to learn. You know, if you're, if you're full-time in crypto anyway, you have all day to learn. Or if you're doing crypto for an hour a day, instead of spending an hour a day looking for opportunities, because there's not a ton of them right now, you can spend an hour a day researching and then maybe half of the day uh, actually looking for those opportunities because there are still some of them. So number one, use the boring periods to learn. Number two, remember that the opportunities show up at the end of the downtrend. I think there are good opportunities right now. I should correct myself from a second ago. Yeah. And I think there's going to be even bigger ones here in a little bit. It's very important that right now, you're here, and that's why we're daily uploading every single day through all this content, through all of this boredom, because it's very important, because we care about you and we want you to succeed. Yeah, and I, I want to I wanna re even reiterate, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm sure that we're going to see the rest of the market, uh, the rest of this year, excuse me, the rest of this year be sideways. What I'm saying, though, is there are a lot of variables at the moment. We have the interest rates coming out with the power of the U.S. dollar. We have this war going on in Russia and Ukraine. We also have regulation. We don't know what regulation is going to look like at this point. We are hoping slash thinking thinking it's going to be bullish, in which case that could bring in billions of dollars, if not trillions, from institutions. But at this point, before we see something actually execute, you don't want to make a move before confirmation has happened. Same thing with reading the charts, and we teach you guys day in and day out. We're going to show you what's happening in technical analysis, but we're also going to be very clear. Just because we see a pattern forming, we will not buy or advise anyone to buy until there's confirmation. you got to wait for it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's and time. I, it it is time for that, but I also yeah. I want to read one chat that kind of wraps this all up into a nice neat bow. Robert Casanova said this seems to be an accumulation phase. That's exactly what I would call it. I think we're actually mostly out of the downtrend. Now, we might resume. We might go a little bit lower, but for the most part, the downtrend is kind of over. We're moving sideways. The accumulation phase of markets is always the most boring of the phases. However, you always, maybe not always, but pretty much always get your best buying opportunities in the accumulation phase or in a sell-off that happens at the end of the accumulation phase before the bull market rallies. So just keep that in mind. We're close to the bottom, and you don't want to walk away right now because you'll be walking away from the most important part of the investment, which is the buying yeah. place. Let's see here. We have one from Corey saying, first time I saw Jeb was an interview with BitBoy and he was wearing his sunglasses. I remember that. But I digress. I'm once again <laughs> asking for facial hair. Please help. Oof. Well, somebody get this man some Rogaine. 
Yes. <laughs> Gosh, well, the sunglasses are back on Smay, so. Yes, Smay's got the sunglasses over there. Stevie Wonder over here is running the switcher. No, but uh, yeah, no, I was wearing my sunglasses for during that interview, and Ben thought that was really funny. Um, I, was re- I was wearing those for a couple days because my glasses were broken, and my sunglasses were actually prescription, so it was the only way I could see. So, yeah, if you go back on the channel, you'll find that video. Uh, Daniel Cantillo, or T- Cantillo, depending on how Cantillo. he wants to pronounce, uh, double L, you know. I would love to hear an explanation of how so many institutions in Wales buy massive amounts of Bitcoin without affecting the price. Love your show. Well, what they do is they buy on something called over-the-counter markets. So there's two different ways you can buy Bitcoin. Well, actually, there's three different ways you can buy Bitcoin. You can buy Bitcoin, number one, from a peer. So I can walk up to Stevie Wonder over here and say, hey, uh, Smay, can I buy um, can I buy $50 of Bitcoin from you? And he'll say, yeah, sure, here you go. Here's 50 bucks. I'll transact it to you. Give me a $50 bill. Boom, got 50 bucks. That's the first way you can buy Bitcoin. Second way you can buy Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies is through an exchange. So you can buy from Coinbase, Bybit. You can buy from Binance or Kraken or KuCoin or Gemini or you know FTX, whatever you buy from, and you buy on exchange. The third way you can buy is something called over-the-counter. Most people don't know what an over-the-counter market is. Quite simply, an over-the-counter market is the institutional version of me walking up to my friend and saying, hey, can I buy $50 worth of Bitcoin from you? Well, the problem is if I walk up to Smay and say, hey, can I buy $500 million worth of Bitcoin from you? He's going to say, sorry, bud, I don't have a half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Well, Smay secretly does. He's actually, he's got a lot of money. He's the guy that keeps moving the price around. You can't do that with your friends. So what you do over the counter is you go up to an institution and you say, hey, I want to buy a quarter billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. They say, okay, cool. We got five, we've got $5 billion worth of Bitcoin here. We'll sell you a quarter billion and then pay us $5 million in fees or whatever it is, and then we'll sell it to you. But here's the deal. There's three ways to buy cryptocurrency. Only one of them actually moves the price. Exchange trading is what moves the price. Buying from your friend doesn't change the price because me buying from him, d- does that update any, does that send any price information to anyone else? Is there any price communication going on there? No, not at all. The only two people that know about that transaction, unless we decide to tell someone, are the person I'm buying the crypto from and myself. Now, it's broadcast on the blockchain, but the blockchain doesn't communicate price data. Exchanges do. If you buy it over the counter, it's the same thing. The only two people that know about that transaction, unless they decide to tell someone, are the institution and the buyer or the seller, because you can sell over the counter as well. On exchange, whenever you buy or sell Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, you actually broadcast the price and the transaction to the entire market. And then what you do is you are buying up and down order books. So it's crucial to understand what an order book is to understand why over-the-counter markets don't affect Bitcoin's price. Order books are basically just people saying, I will sell 0.5 Bitcoin at $41,700 a coin. But if Bitcoin is not at $41,700 a coin, then that sell order just sits there. It's like you're trying to sell a car. You put it out in, on, on your front driveway and you put that, you know, the little plastic up there, the little cardboard up there, and you say, $7,500, call me at this number. The car has not been sold because you have not met a buyer yet. However, if you do meet a buyer, then the transaction occurs. So that's what happens on exchange. You put the buyer, the sell order up, and then somebody, once the price reaches the buyer, the sell order comes along and buys or sells to you. When it does that on exchange, that communicates price data, and then that updates the entire exchange about what the price of the cryptocurrency is, causing it to move the market. That doesn't happen on over-the-counter markets, so that's why buying OTC does not actually change the price. I don't know if that was helpful. It's kind of yeah. difficult to explain. Was that helpful, Tim and Smay? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely it. The, the other way is through manipulation. Again, if I'm printing nothing but flood articles and I can get a bunch of retail investors to list their Bitcoin for sale, as Jeb's talking about, and I buy it all, it's not going to make the price blow up. But what just happened is a lot of supply just shifted from retail into Wales wallets. And that's yes. not going to me. that's not going to bring an immediate spike. The spike will come when all of them say, all right, 
it's time to do this together. But during a season of manipulation, just so you guys know, they are constantly buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling, buying, selling. And the purpose is, is to accumulate as much as possible while keeping the price within a strict range. Yes, so exactly. It is 10 o'clock, so it's time to move on to the it next thing. It is segment. 10 o'clock. So what we're going to go ahead and do here is I'm going to run through a couple of different articles here, and then we're going to jump into this discussion about the Fed, inflation, and why Bitcoin is the answer. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to go ahead and move through this. Now, I'm going to read a couple of these articles. I'm going to throw it to Tim to do a little bit more of the explaining. An Ethereum 2.0 proof-of-stake testnet blockchain is now live. ETH 2.0 proof-of-stake testnet beacon blockchain is now live. So as you guys know, uh, Ethereum has been working for years to move from PLW, a proof of work, to POS, proof of stake. And that has been in the works for a while. And the launch of ETH 2.0 has been pushed back many times. This is another development in the history of that. We can read right here. The announcement also notes that shards are a core concept behind ETH 2.0. Now, I'm not yes. going to get into what sharding is right now, but it's a concept that helps to scale with a blockchain. Actually, it reads it right here. Shards are individual chains that manage smart contracts, transactions, and stay coordinated by a root chain known as the beacon chain. Basically, what that does is it splits up all the different types of transactions on Ethereum into different chains, allowing them to run in parallel, and then they update each other and allows it to run much faster and more scalably. In the post, Van Loon explains the advantages of sharding implementation. Having shards allow for a horizontal scalability of the system as transactions can be processed in parallel compared to the current Ethereum proof-of-work chain. Most of you guys in this chat are, and I'm saying this lovingly because I am too, a bunch of nerds. I'm a giant freaking computer nerd, so I'll explain this in the way a central processing unit works. If any of you guys know what a CPU is and how it works, you may know of the concept of cores. On this computer, I have an i7. I believe it's an eight-core processor. So what that means is the processor is actually broken up into eight little mini processors that are able to run processes in parallel. So instead of one, running one process at a time, it's able to run eight processes at a time. And then what you also have, you have, I forget what it's called because it's been a few years since I've been in the computer building space. You, maybe you might know this. There is a process where you can split the cores into two and then you have the cores running in parallel. So if you have an eight core processor, you can actually run 16 processes at once. Essentially what Ethereum is trying to do is it's trying to split up its, its processing and its transactions so that transactions can run in parallel. Avalanche already does this and allows it to be more or less infinitely scalable. This would be one of the ways that Ethereum 2.0 would hopefully be able to process all of the transactions that it needs to. And essentially what we've just seen happen is that the testnet beacon blockchain is live. The beacon blockchain is the chain that everything else kind of attaches to. That has to do with the root chain. Not going to get into all the blockchain dev right now. I am far from an expert in blockchain development, so correct me if I'm wrong on anything I just said. The point is, though, this is a pretty major fundamental update in the process of Ethereum, and it is definitely going to help drive the fundamental value of Ethereum up. Do you have any thoughts on that, Tim, before I, we move on? I, I, I'm going to wrap it up so we can move on to the next one. Just long story short, if you're asking, all right, what does this mean? If you guys are like me, uh, ETH 2.0 was supposed to come out even before I was heavily involved in crypto. It keeps getting delayed, 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 delayed. What you should do with this piece of information is say, wow, ETH is finally on track. They finally got something done right. So when they told us earlier, I think last year, they said expect the end quarter four of 2022 to be when ETH 2.0 finally launches. This is one step to being on track to maybe finally delivering a final ETH 2.0. Let me ask you, let me let me get a hot take from you real quick, Tim. With how slow Ethereum's developing, I just said it, I'm sorry, it's true though. With how slow ETH 2.0 is coming out and how fast Cardano is moving, do you think the flippening between Cardano and ETH is going to happen? I, I think that it'd be kind of foolish to try to say that. How many times in the last year have we said ETH is going to flip Bitcoin, then Cardano's going to flip ETH, then Solana's going to flip Cardano, and then Cardano's, Cardano's dying, Bitcoin's dying. I, th I think it's it, it, we're going to just run circles, and then what's going to happen is we're all going to be surprised. So. Yes, and I think it's absolutely impossible to predict for certain, but I think 
probabilistically, it, it, Toronto's going to do very well. I don't Di- know if you should say that it's going to absolutely yeah, they, take they, over. All now. of those projects are going to do well, so divert. <clears throat> don't put all your eggs in one basket because at the end of the day, we don't know what the final answer is going to be. So prepare yourself for any scenario. Absolutely, especially since we don't really know who the winner is yet. Now, as something Michael Saylor talked about in an interview, and the reason I keep mentioning Michael Saylor is I'm studying him quite a bit in preparation for my interview with him tomorrow. Ew. So make sure you guys watch out for that on the channel. Going to be interviewing another billionaire. Really got some great interviews coming out on the channel. If you haven't watched Carl- Charles Hoskins' interview with me, then you should definitely watch that. Or my interview with him, I suppose I should say. One of the things that uh, Michael Saylor talked about is that in the tech space, online, it's a winner-take-all game. There's only one Netflix. Everything else pales in comparison. There's only one YouTube. Everything else pales in comparison. There's only one Facebook. There's only one Twitter because they do slightly different things. Everything else pales in comparison. There's only one Amazon. Walmart tried to keep up and is doing pretty well, but it is starting to lose the e-commerce game. Google is the top dog, and nothing can really stand a chance to it. Amazon, number one, I already said that. It's a winner-take-all game, and Michael Saylor was talking about how that is probably going to play into cryptocurrency as well. So, fast-forward 10 years. I would be surprised if we had two layer two solutions that do very similar things that have very similar market capitalizations. I do believe one of them is more than likely going to be the dominant and everything else is going to be probably less than 20% is value. So whether that's going to be Ethereum or Bit or Ethereum or Cardano, I don't know. Maybe they will diversify enough so that they are able to not compete with each other too much. But I do think that you're going to see a winner take all event take place in that case as well. Now I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. Bitcoin regains $40,000. is over $30 billion inflows into its market capitalization in 24 hours. This is a pretty straightforward article. It's basically just saying we saw $36 billion in Bitcoin's total market capitalization rise as we saw a lot of people start to realize that Bitcoin is a store of value against rising inflation. Inflation data was released last month at 7.9% based on CPI, which is a completely ridiculous bureaucratic method of calculating inflation. Number one, inflation is not as simple as one number for one currency. It's actually much more complicated than that. Number two, CPI leaves out some of the most important things that go into uh, go into the uh, calculation of, of cost of living, such as home values. So CPI is not a good statistic. It is a statistic that is heavily manipulated. If you look at the printing of the U.S. dollar and how quickly that happens, uh, how quickly the devaluation of a currency can happen, such as when the ruble dropped 30% in three weeks, the va- the inflation of the U.S. dollar is actually probably much closer to 20, 25, maybe 30% annually right now because CPI historically com- just completely misses the mark. As that inflation kicks off, people are starting to realize that Bitcoin is the only safe haven that we have. And that leads us into our final topic here in our discussion, and that is the Federal Reserve, the FOMC's meeting, and how that decision will impact prices. Tim, can you kick us off on this conversation? Yeah, so as we talk about it this in a video I made yesterday, so last night, if you didn't watch it, go back and watch because it kind of lays out the implications of what the Fed could decide, what the likelihood is, but in the off chance we're wrong, here's what could happen in the future. Here's what, before we jump into all the details, I want to remind everybody because unfortunately there's probably millions of people who are making trades and investments based off of this one issue. This is a big issue. But it is only one variable in the future what Bitcoin's price is going to do. Bitcoin is not riding on one thing. It's riding on many things. However, when it comes to the power of the U.S. dollar, that is a big variable for the price of Bitcoin. Why? Because what is the purpose? What is the use case? Why was Bitcoin originally developed? It was to hedge against the inflation of dying fiat currencies. So what we're seeing happen right now, what the Fed's going to be doing over the next year with these interest rate hikes is they're actually trying to prop up the U.S. dollar. They're not going to want to keep killing it. But if they do it too aggressively, we could see not only a dip happen to Bitcoin, but the entire economy, which means that more
more than likely, we're going to see the Fed kind of continue a route of kick the can down the road, continue to be conservative, which could be very bullish for Bitcoin. But it kind of does, depends on, again, as the Bitcoin dollar becomes more powerful, as interest rates go up, as the power of the pers the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar goes up, we could see Bitcoin at least stagnate, if not drop a little bit. But I want to I want to just lay out the scenario because this is this is what's happening here. Michael Novogratz, uh, he's been big here, massively bullish about Bitcoin. He does predict within the next couple of years that Bitcoin is going to be worth five hundred thousand dollars, but he does have a warning, and that is that he predicts that the price range of Bitcoin over the next year is going to stay between thirty to fifty thousand dollars. And here's the reason why. He talks about how we need to see a pause. What is he talking about right now in the pause? We need to see a pause in the fear of the and the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the U.S. dollar coming from the Fed. We need to see a pause. We need to get away from the fear and uncertainty of what's happening with war in Europe. Until we see those things happening, the retail investor is going to be very skittish about investing there. Why is that? Because even though whales and institutions are going to want to find a different way to get away from the dying U.S. dollar, those of you who live potentially paycheck to paycheck with a little bit left over, the average... Uh, middle in, uh, what do you call it? Middle class citizen, they're going to have to very much worry about how do I continue to put food on the table? How do I continue to provide for my family and still make wise decisions for the rest of my retirement? And it could be a very risky time or a hard time to take US dollars and turn them into Bitcoin. So, what he is saying pretty much in a different article, uh, which uh, I'm not going to show you the whole thing because they're, yeah. Anyway, he, he said here Bitcoin is a narrative story. It's bringing people into the community, uh, noting that this is hard to bring new people in when they're house is on fire. Yes. And that's a really interesting take because, again, I think Bitcoin is the future. He even says he continues to predict with this prediction of, hey, the rest of the year is 30 to 50,000. The next couple of years, 500,000. But we need to see more certainty come into the retail investors' lives for them to be able to invest heavily. This is one variable. The retail investor, it's one variable. But it's a significant variable that we have to consider if we don't see peace come to, A, Europe with war, and if we don't see peace come to the certainty and the stability of what we see happening with the US dollar, either is the US dollar just going to keep dying and inflating, therefore let's move to Bitcoin, or is the US dollar going to have a high interest rate to it, which makes it more powerful, but also means there's less money out there for people to have access to, then we have a problem not only with Bitcoin, but also the entire economy, and that will make people not be able to invest in things like Bitcoin. I think it's important to remember the entire reason Bitcoin was created, because yes, Bitcoin was created to hedge against inflation, but even more centrally than that, Bitcoin was designed to take power from the people that caused the inflation so that it can hedge against inflation. And that seems like a small difference, but it's actually not, because there's a lot of things that you could try to hedge against inflation with, and then manipulate, and then actually use them to be inflation tools, such as housing prices. We've been convinced that housing prices going up are a great thing. You know why housing prices go up? Yes, because of economic growth. But the main reason housing prices go up is because the dollar that they're measured against is losing value. You, you spend $50,000 on a home 100 years ago, it's worth $20 million now. That's not because the home got that much more valuable. The land did not go up by 100 times in value or 400 times in value. The value of the dollar went down. So we've been convinced that rising home prices, rising stock markets, rising you know prices of food is a good thing because it means the economy is growing. What are you talking about? No, it's not. These things are, if you, if you denominate a loaf of bread, let's, let's just say a gallon of milk. If you denominate a gallon of milk 
in gold, not the U.S. dollar, but in gold, back extrapolate how the inflation of gold has happened because there is inflation in gold and go back to the Roman Empire. A gallon of milk is worth about as much right now as it was during the Roman Empire. A bread, bread wheat, a loaf of wheat, a loaf of wheat, a loaf of bread. If you go back in time, it's worth about the same amount of money. It costs about the same for the average Joe, even though we've had all this technology. What technology has done is allowed us to produce more and it has allowed us to produce it cheaper. But the point is the value of the dollar has gone down so much that we think there was a big change and there wasn't. The value of the dollar has been losing. So the reason Bitcoin was created was so that it could be the tool for financial sovereignty by which we would be able to permissionlessly store our wealth into the future. This is another thing Michael Saylor talked about. He talked about how the first time in human history, the incentive, whenever you want to take something from somebody, because that's something governments and bad actors do all throughout history, the incentive before was to hurt you and to steal it. I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to take your property. That happens every time an authoritarian government takes over. Now with Bitcoin, you can store Bitcoin keys in your head, and the incentive goes from hurting you to convincing you. That's the first time that's ever happened because every other form of wealth storage in history has been physical that can be stolen from you. You can't actually do that with Bitcoin necessarily. So what Bitcoin does is it allows us to take back the financial sovereignty into our own hands for the first time in the history of mankind. We don't need to have a central trusted authority such as the Federal Reserve that has the ability to inflate the currency. That's why interest rates are so important because the interest rates being slammed to the floor and the quantitative easing being so high and the inflation being so bad exemplifies why Bitcoin was created in the first place. And a project or a company or a movement that founds itself on principles for a purpose is a project that will win if it has the right principles and purpose and putting the economic freedom back into the hands of the people where it belongs is absolutely one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest solutions. It's called Bitcoin that we've had this entire century. And I do believe that even at the end of this century, we will look back and say Bitcoin was the greatest idea of that 100-year period. Bitcoin is inflation-hardened, yes, but even more importantly, it takes back power from the central banks and the central institutions that made us need an inflation-hardened asset in the first place. Smay, do you have any thoughts on all of that, why Bitcoin was created and what the point of it is and what the Federal Reserve meeting today is going to do to the price? Um, I mean, I don't have, I think it's been said many times about, you know, what the potential outcomes of this uh, meeting is going to be. So I'm not really going to speak on that, but I, I think exactly what you said, and I don't need to go into it in too much more detail, but ultimately, like you said, financial sovereignty, I'm going to take these sunglasses off. It's kind of so, uh, no guys, honestly, it's the, it's the idea of being able to have control literally. Like it's like, uh, it's not just about the intrinsic because I think part of it, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, a part of financial sovereignty, what we talk about is the fact of like having enough money to where you're not have to worry about your finances, worrying about your finances, another way that your finances control you. That's a, that's a very philosophical take on the matter. That's true. But there's also like a literal, uh, uh, take on the matter, which is like a, Hey, if you don't have any control, uh, and that there's another entity, central authority that has control over the value of your money, uh, then, then you don't really have financial sovereignty. Uh, and that's why we we're the way we're deciding to uh, ta- ta- um, be-, be able to talk about financial sovereignty here and preach it is because you know we're using cryptocurrency as that means to do it because ultimately cryptocurrency is the really only real way to achieve real through and through financial sovereignty. Uh, if it was just about making a lot of money, then we would be telling you about real estate and we'd be telling you about you know all kinds of other means to make money. But because ultimately, you know, I-, I I think this is funny. You want to know the fastest way to make money? Having a job, 
is the fastest way to make money. But that's not it's not the same thing. People don't really see it that way. So ultimately, though, the biggest thing is uh, having sovereignty, and that's with Bitcoin and the decentralized nature of it. Um, so ultimately, that I think that's the value of it. People are going to start to see the value of it. And as uh, the economic landscape gets worse, and these essential organizations and uh, uh, these central banks and these central governments continue to fail us over and over and over again, uh, leading up till now, there wasn't an alternative, you know, like, uh, like you just said with Michael Saylor, they could just imprison you and take your gold. You know what I mean? Like they're, yep. and they've done it many times in history, even in the United States, there wasn't a, a, a solution. So people just had to, to face the brunt of all this horrible stuff happening. People now have a solution and it's just about now people accepting that solution. Uh, and that's, and that's with due time. And that's why we live in one of the best times. So, and that's not to say that the U S dollar is going to completely and totally fail and collapse. There's going to be a crash and burn and civilization is going to end. That's not what I'm saying, but I think it is a bit of a myth and a bit of a fallacy. And we're about to read some more super chats here. I think it is a bit of a myth and a fallacy that the Federal Reserve and the U.S. government wants to curb inflation, that they want to curb quantitative easing. Have they ever done that for an extended period of time? Ever? If you look at the last 50 years of interest rates, what are they doing? They're going down. It's not going to be long before we're at negative interest rates. That's already happening in Europe. You think that can't happen? Go look at what's happening in Europe. It's already taking place. If you look at the inflation, the governments of the world, because they have absolute financial sovereignty over the citizenry, because they're the ones with the power, they're the ones with the leverage, they're the ones with the big stick because they can put you in prison and take your stuff, because they're the ones with the power, they want to become more powerful. When you have somebody in power that do not have very strong morals and ethics and standards, I wouldn't say the government does. Whenever you have that take place, they want to bridge, they want to build more and more power, especially the U.S. government, where the U.S. makes up a quarter of the global economy and they have the largest military in the world. Of course they want to be bigger. Do you really think that this inflation of the U.S. dollar is going to stop or slow down? It might slow down a little bit because these politicians realize they're going to get voted out if they don't do something about it. But the trend is continuing. This inflation has been going on for 100 years. It really kicked off in 1971 after the breakup of the Bretton Woods Agreement, and we went off the gold standard officially. But we've been going off of it ever since the Civil War, technically. Inflation is going to continue. You're not going to see inflation stop. That is a guarantee. Just do some historical analysis on the U.S. dollar. It's not going to stop. So here's what I say, and I'll use this as my final point of this segment. If you're looking to spend your money within six months, keep it in cash because that's what the U.S. dollar is good for. It's good for a currency. It's good for a medium of exchange. It's good for going out and buying something and not having to be taxed on it because you don't get taxed on transactions. You have sales tax, but you know, giving 20 bucks to a friend, you don't get taxed on that. Bitcoin is used very well as an asset and it can be used as a currency, but it's really designed as a store of value into the future and to give you financial sovereignty and the ability to store money throughout time because you can't really do that anywhere else, not even in gold that's 2% inflated every year. If you're looking to store value for more than six months, maybe more than 12 months, however you want to denominate that, keep that value in Bitcoin. That is not financial advice. I just want to clarify, we're not entering a financial advisory agreement here. Make sure you get a financial advisor. They're very helpful, but that's how I would look at that. Anyway, what we're going to do now is we're going to go ahead and read any final Super Chats, and then we're going to keep on going. Yeah, we have one from Agent Gold, who's been a member now for seven months as a Jedi Padawan, saying, Michael has good experience and insight on why Bitcoin is something everyone needs, and his talks are always great a great entryway for anyone new to the space have fun when it's interview time yeah i will so i'm definitely looking forward to speaking with the man he's got a lot of great takes and i think he does a very good job of processing the issue of what inflation is and why it is important and why bitcoin is not only the best answer it is in fact the only answer to storing wealth through time i think he's got a great take on that uh cryptofer just said he i'm just saying good day 
Just wanted to come in and say good day. Just saying good day. Good day, Cryptofer. Here's a, here's a question that we had just normal chat. Siobhan Golay uh, said, why Bitcoin considered risky? Uh, why, is Bitcoin, hold on. It's, why is Bitcoin considered risky? Only put money you could afford to lose when it's also compared to gold at the same time. Bitcoin is considered risky in the same way fire was considered risky, in the same way automobiles were considered risky, in the same way electricity was considered risky, and trains were considered risky, and planes were considered risky, because most people don't understand it. Most people don't understand that it is solving one of the most existential problems that humanity has ever faced, the inability to preserve wealth for a lifetime. You can't do it. There's no way to do it without Bitcoin. You think you can preserve wealth in real estate, really, with 2% property taxes in pretty much every single state? You can, but really the only way to preserve wealth is to keep making money. It's very difficult without Bitcoin to get out of that rat race. You have to continue generating wealth or else you're going to slowly erode it. You're going to thermodynamically erode that wealth into the ether and it's going to be taken away by inflation, which is the biggest silent tax that you don't even realize is happening to your dollar. The reason people are scared of Bitcoin is the same reason they were scared of any new technology. You know, people were scared of Wi-Fi. This was 10 years ago. People were scared of Wi-Fi because they thought it was going to give them ear cancer. That was a thing. Do you, do you remember that, Tim? Am I crazy? I remember that being a thing. You're a little older than me. Do you remember that when Wi-Fi started becoming a big thing and Bluetooth and, and wireless phones? A lot of people thought that, that that was going to cause ear cancer. Listen, I might not have been that far uh, ahead of you. My parents were very much behind the times when it comes to technology. I, I, I think literally we didn't have caller ID on our phones until literally 2010. I think it was available in the 90s. Uh, it, yeah, we were behind. Yeah, so the I might not be able to answer that. Well. The point is every single time a new technology comes out because we are scared of change, we get fearful of it. People are scared of Bitcoin. And look, I'm not attacking that. I am saying most of their fears are unfounded, though. And I think it's important that we, as Bitcoin evangelists, go out and we teach people what Bitcoin is and truly why it was created in the first place, which was yeah. to give us control of our finances back because that is the only place that that control is safe. You know, continuing that thought of evangelism, and I'm trying to, I'm, I've, I've been sitting here mulling over how I even want to like say this, and I'll probably be able to articulate it better in a future video. But here's what we have over the future, especially wrapping this stream. As we, we are, we're getting closer to wrapping now. We still have like eight minutes here. But I want you guys to think about something. Bitcoin's price more than likely will eventually go up. But here's why you should be concerned or excited. If the retail investor does not get into the space. And right now what we are seeing is retail investing looking into like Google Trends showing crypto searches is plummeting. We see as even Michael Novogratz said, like, hey, people are not going to invest in crypto or anything when their house is on fire and we need to pull them in. The only other option for the Bitcoin price to go up is due to what I said was another variable and that is regulation being clear and allowing the billions if not trillions of institutional monies to come into the space. Guess what that does? That still moves the power of an amazing currency, future future currency, Bitcoin, into the hands of the powerful while the retail investors miss out. What we need to do in following what Jeb says is continue day in and day out to like evangelize what Bitcoin's purpose is. It's actually super cool getting to have conversations with people on the street, in my family, as their brains are starting to turn and they're starting to change. But if we don't continue to push, if we don't keep our foot on the pedal, a lot of people are gonna start fudding out. A lot of retail investors who are newer to this space are gonna sell and say, you know what, I need to keep my US dollars for all of this uncertainty. A lot of people who were considering sitting on the sidelines, they're gonna say, you know what, I'll hold off till next year. And the problem is, what 
what happens? This is a question I want to ask you. What happens if retail investors stay on the sideline and institutions come in massively, pumping it well over not just $69,000, but start pushing it to the hundreds of thousands, and it's a massively whale-controlled space? We need to, as the everyday man, as these people, like we need to continue to keep our, our foot on that pedal of evangelizing to the everyday person the what why Bitcoin is so valuable and why they need to continue to have that longevity thought and not just say, what's my instant gratification, but what's my long-term gratification so that they don't flood out of the market and Bitcoin doesn't suffer similar control issues that we saw happen with gold and other fl- uh, failed uh, currencies that we've seen in the history. So the point is, trillions of dollars are going to be made in the cryptocurrency market. I, I, made a, I made a tweet the other day and I know a lot of people thought I was crazy, but I am dead serious. I tweeted yesterday, 95% of currencies will collapse in the next 50 years and go through hyperinflation and crypto will go to a quarter of a quadrillion dollar market capitalization. You heard me right. I'm talking $250 trillion market cap in the next 50 years and Bitcoin is going to lead that charge. And by the way, I am not talking about inflated US dollars. I'm talking about 2022 US dollars, a quarter of a quadrillion dollars. That's what you're going to see in cryptocurrency because when you solve a problem as big as financial sovereignty, as Bitcoin is doing, that is worth trillions of dollars. And trillionaires will be made from investing in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And the question is, are you going to be among them because you stayed here in this space over the period of time where Bitcoin was boring for three months because you embarked in this delayed gratification journey and you realize, hey, it might take five, 10, 20 years for me to really get what I want out of crypto. Or are you going to embark on the instant gratification journey and walk away and leave cryptocurrency right now because it's a little bit boring? It's an honest question. It's one you have to answer. Guys, I really enjoyed today's stream. I am very, very excited to see where all of you are going in Bitcoin and crypto. We get success stories all the time. You guys are so amazing and growing so much in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency knowledge. And I'm really excited that our community is growing in the way that it is. And thank you guys so very much for tuning in, even when there's not a ton going on here. Because as I said, it's our mission not only to help you achieve financial sovereignty. That's our vision of the company. That's what we want to do. We want to help all of you achieve financial sovereignty, which is taking back control of your finances. But we also want to talk about, but we also on this stream in particular, want to bring you informational and educational content. Informationally, we gave you some technical analysis today. And educationally, we talked about how markets move whenever they are in stagnant periods. We looked at some of the different chart formations, such as Bart Simpson patterns that happen whenever the market is very boring and what that means about the market cycle that we're in and how that means that we may be close to the end of this correction and how we're in accumulation right now, meaning that we should be looking at ample ways to invest in our education, but also in different cryptocurrency opportunities that are coming up. So hopefully you have learned a lot from this stream. As you know, we come live on Coffee and Crypto 930 Eastern every single day, every single weekday here on the Crypto Jeb channel. And make sure to follow us at Twitter and on Instagram at Crypto Jeb over on Instagram and Twitter and at Crypto Jeb Official over on TikTok. Tim, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it out? No, stay tuned this afternoon. More than likely, our afternoon video will discuss what the decision is from the Fed. I do believe from what I've seen that should be announced 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So the video that goes out tonight at 6 p.m. more than likely will include that information. There you go, guys. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Smay, how are those glasses trading you? <clears throat> Groovy. 
groovy. I like that, guys. Drop a like for Smay's glasses. Come on now. That's really exciting. Well, guys, like I said, also make sure to subscribe to the channel because an interview of Michael Saylor is coming. Guys got some crazy good takes. Very good at explaining the purpose and the use case and the reason behind Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But before we go, though, guys, I do just first want to thank each and every single last one of you for watching, as always. And I will see you guys in the next video. Peace. to the Coffee and Crypto Podcast. Tune in every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern to watch live on YouTube. Follow us on our social media accounts at CryptoJeb. And lastly, we want to thank you for supporting us here at McAfee Media.